Ladies and gentlemen, quiet now, hush. For today is the 20th day of scrapping, skirmishing, spar-none spookery. When the walls whisper and the dead won't stay down. No ten count for these feisty fiends. In this corner, the ghoul who's no fool. Tales from the dark side. And the challenger, floating like a butterfly, stinging like a breeze. Are you afraid of the dark? Fighters and fright fans, put up your spoons! This week's theme, ghosts. 20s. 20s. Well, it's a combination thereof. This is the 20th episode of Put Up Your Spooks, and as such, we decided maybe we should find some episode 20s. And bonus points, if you can get some of our beloved flapper ghosts in there. Nothing says 20s like flapper ghosts. Yeah, and they're ubiquitous. Whenever there's a scene with some ghosts, there's going to be some flapper ghosts in there. However, it wasn't as easy as we thought. My 20s episode is Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Tale of the Whispering Walls, which according to Wikipedia's list of Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes was the 20th in a row. It's a season two episode. But then when I went to the Are You Afraid of the Dark official wiki, it said it's the 21st episode. But I think that's because there was some weirdness as we discussed in our pilot episode with the original pilot. They shot, but then they did, but then they aired it out of order. Right. Uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Tale of the Whispering Walls. It is February 29th, leap year, full moon. And when that happens, look out. Shit gets crazy. So, Louise, the babysitter... And her wards, Claire and Andrew, are on their way home from an amusement park, going on and on about the totally awesome Zebos that they saw, which you still don't know what that is, but we'll get there. And Louise promises that she will take them to get banana splits if they will stop fighting, even though they just came from the amusement park and probably stuffed themselves to the gills with junk food. Uh, they get turned around, trying to find the highway by a highly suspect Highway 9 sign, which as soon as they drive away flops down, revealing that it was pointing them in the wrong direction. I think they missed a trick there. It should have been uh, a Highway 6 sign <laughs> that, like, spun over Yeah, you know, the Highway 9 to be Highway 6. Instead, it was an entirely fake Highway 9 sign pointing them in the wrong direction, which is one of those details when you realize who the Dashardly Fiends are orchestrating this all seems really out of character that they would go and like hand <laughs> to... paint a sign and attach it yeah they wind up outside a creepy inn that's all closed for the season because it's february although it looks more like autumn honestly let's be let's be honest this let's is autumn. february in canada and uh it was definitely not really february anyways uh the creepy inn man who was totally the inspiration for My Chemical Romance, tells them they're way lost, and yells at them to shut the door because he loathes drafts. He slightly freaks out when Andrew uses his little portable fan on an indoor wind chime. I mean, I guess maybe they brought the wind chime in because it was all closed up for the season. And uh, Andrew's little portable fan flies out of his hands onto the ground. Uh, the creepy My Chemical Romance innkeeper tells them, Take the dirt road outside. It travels through the woods and will cut miles off your trip. And he's got like a crazy red ruby ring on, which will come back later. 
So they take the dirt road, they end up outside a creepy old mansion where their car dies. Louise goes inside to get directions. She's gone in a really long time. So finally, the kids are getting antsy. They go in, and they're creeping around. Unfortunately, it's daytime because, as we'll find out, the crazy, dastardly, February 29th leap year full moon magic only works when the sun goes down. So, pet peeve, daylight spooks. But I have to forgive it because it's part of the story. Does the magic only work at nighttime? I, I think it culminates with the sunset, which is when their souls are like trapped for good and for keeps. Okay. But we are getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, so... They go in, they're wandering into the creepy mansion, and they find a room which is super cool, all decorated out in party attire, with like a whole table full of banana splits, and they're like, oh, Louise, she planned this. How delicious. And they grab the banana splits, but Claire knocks Andrew's banana split over, and it immediately burns an acid hole in the floor, through which Creepy My Chemical Romance Inman crawl, like appears in the acid smoke and starts crawling through the floor, which is a pretty cool effect. It was a super cool effect, and I thought they were going to FFO, but uh, <laughs> they're like, we got to run back to that inn. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what? You just saw My Chemical Romance crawl up through the banana acid. Yeah, it, it's weird. Uh, they, so they, they, they kind of F the FO, um, and... You know, a after Creepy Inn Man puts up his spooks, they run outside and decide to go back to the inn to ask the guy for help. Yes, even though they just saw him crawl through the floor. Maybe through the acid smoke, they didn't quite recognize him if, if they couldn't see his crazy rib shirt. His, yeah, his crazy... that is his signature item. So they get to the inn, they run down the road because it's very close by, and uh, when they get inside, it's not all closed down. There's all kinds of people in there, and they're all dressed in random period attire. So there is a, like, 1800s woman, there is a 50s guy, there's, like, a 60s, like, brush salesman, and there's a dancing couple, which I assume are my flappers, my 20s people, although they, you know they flap. could have been 30s. She didn't have any pearls, so it was, like, 20s, 30s, that's why I said loose flappers, and they're dancing, they're having a great old time, and uh, they tell the kids, oh yeah, that's Master Raymond's house. He is crazy, and things there are about to get nasty. And I don't know if you noticed, but the jukebox, uh, Night of the Living Dummy style, starts playing the uh, a stylized version of the Are You Afraid of the Dark theme song. You remind me so much of my dear little Jane. So sad. So sad. No, I did not recognize that. In-world theme. Only twice it's occurred that I've noticed in our show. That's right. We gotta keep track of this <laughs> we because we're, we're building track. a canon. Uh, the 1800s woman says that uh, Claire reminds her so of her little Jane. And they're like, well, okay, thanks. Uh, so they go back outside and they realize, oh, well, what are we going to do? We better call our parents. Maybe they can come pick us up. So they go back into the inn, and it's all empty and closed for the season again. They were totally ghosts, and especially flapper ghosts. So they freak out again. They run back to the mansion because the only choice they have is to get, um, to get Louise, who they were this close to abandoning. I mean, to be fair, she, she's their favorite babysitter, but she is an hourly employee. <laughs> it's not like she's family or even a friend. She's making a killing. Uh, yeah, that's true. 
That's true. And she, yeah, you're right. She's probably charging them time and a <laughs> half for this whole whispering wall shenanigans. Making a killing, no pun intended. As they're running around outside these various buildings, there are just tumbleweeds flying in every direction, which I found hilarious because it's Canada and not the American Southwest, but it really does add to the atmosphere, and wind is very important in this episode. Very important. So they run back to the creepy mansion, they go inside, the walls are whispering titularly, Louise appears in an apparition in the ceiling, she calls for help, Mm, creepy master Eamon takes over and laughs maniacally. They try to run outside, but the front door is locked. You know, Andrew is like, you go look for Louise. I'm not moving a muscle. Fuck this noise. And she's like, no, you're, you're smart and you figure stuff out and I can't do it without you. So they have like a little reconciliation because up to this point, they'd been really contentious with each other in a reversal of trope. The older bully sibling was a sister but she wasn't a full bully because they both gave each other shit. I mean, they were at odds, which is very common in these shows, but uh, kind of like the Irish mythology episode where the little brother was really smart. Uh-huh. Um, we're seeing a lot of these these plots where the girl is brave and the boy is smart, and... She needs the little brother to, like, solve something or figure something out. Maybe was that their, like, reaction to uh, girls are smart cliche? It could be that they just flipped the cliches, uh, which doesn't make it any less problematic. Uh, you heard it here first. Are You Afraid of the Dark is canceled. Uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Tale of the Whispering Walls, lead character, Asian woman. Exceptionally rare, I think, to see Asians front and center in, in those days. Uh, so that was cool. Uh, although she never did anything else, because she actually wasn't a very good actress. I hate to say it. Um, she was like, okay, little schmunkins, you're my favorites. Now I'm going inside now. <laughs> Her problem was that she kept calling people schmunkins. I guess that's hard to act. I, I mean, Laurence Olivier couldn't make the word schmunkin sound good. No, I'm saying that was a, a flaw of the actress. She would just inject the word schmunkins <laughs> it wasn't into in every script. role and every scene. Nice little schmunkins or I won't take you to Molly's. Of course, little schmunkin head. Come in. To be or not to schmunkins. <laughs> Alas, poor schmunkin. I knew him, Horatio. Kiss it. Kiss it. <laughs> So they're they're walking along a hall, an upstairs hall, and the portraits are coming to life as they pass, and it's all the flapper ghosts and 1800s ghosts and brush salesman ghosts. They find Louise in a room, she's holding a baby, and she's like, I found this little schmunkin. Uh, you know, we can go as soon as he goes to bed. Don't you worry about it. But they realize, like, whoa, whoa, Louise is wearing that crazy big ruby ring that weirdo chemical romance guy had. And he's like, whoo So Andrew, like, bolts. And Louise, with Master Eamon's voice, throws the baby at Claire. But it's actually a crazy big giant snake. It's actually like a bundle of snakes. Yeah. Because I, there's a big snake and, like, some little snakes. It, it took me, like, 47 viewings of this episode to, to realize that it wasn't just one big boa constrictor. There was, like, a tinier snake that crawled out from underneath it, which was makes it much grosser. And at this point in my notes, I wrote, this is some Freddy's Nightmare shit. <laughs> because the, the kids are just going back and forth yeah. from the inn 
to the creepy house, to the inn, to the creepy house. Claire freaks out and runs away, and I think she, like, backs up against one of the picture frames, and the 1800s ghost appears in the picture frame and is like, you so remind me of my little Jane, and that freaks her out further. So she runs to the end of the hall, and at the end of the hall, there's this crazy candelabra, which is, like, two arms sticking out with a face in it, and the two arms are holding these candles, and... Louise's face appears in the candelabra and is like, help me, help me. So Claire accidentally or otherwise pulls one of the arms and it reveals a secret room. The wall spins around. That was so cool. It was such a cool effect. It was a very cool effect. Good makeup, good transitions. So when she finds a secret room, Louise is in there, but she's kind of like in a trance. But she's not wearing Master Raymond's ring. Correct. Downstairs, Andrew gets to the front door and he manages to get it open and something clicks in his brain and he says like, oh, the drafts, that's that that's the key. And so he runs up to find Claire. Uh, he finds the candlesticks. Master Eamon's face this time appears in the portrait, but he blows it away with his little miniature fan. He pulls the candlestick after Claire tells him what to do and they get Louise, but Master Eamon gets the drop on them and explains his entire evil plan, but Andrew, being the smart younger brother, throws a vase through the window, and the breeze comes in, and the three of them escape, and just as they get to the front door, it slams shut. For the for the twelfth time, Locked the front door slams in. shut. Yeah. Uh, Master Eamon appears, and Andrew grabs his little fan, but Eamon is ready for it, and force pushes it out of his hands. <laughs> Silly boy with silly toys. You won't fool me again. He's like creeping so hard on these youngsters. Uh, he, he was putting up his spooks big time and having a great time with his role. He's putting up his creeps. He's putting up his creeps. Uh, he kidnaps Louise and Claire, puts them both in a trance. And he's like, they're mine as soon as the moon comes up. Don't you worry, little boy. <laughs> Just run Don't along. Don't worry, little boy. <laughs> Talking about your hands, Jerry. <laughs> but when it all, when it looks like all is lost, the 1800s lady spooks out of the wall and says, she reminds me of my little Jane. And she opens the door and the wind, full wind and tumbleweeds come blasting in and Master Eamon explodes in a puff of smoke, i.e. falls out of frame. And they all escape and drive away, but immediately thereafter, another car pulls up with a hapless yuppie inside whose car is dead and he's looking for directions. And he looks up at the house and thus ensuring that the house and Master Eamon will live on. The end. It's another one of these uh, Watcher's Wood scenarios where you have like a chief ghost demon that's capturing new victims and kind of double dipping because it's using people's life essence to sustain their own existence and the house or the forest or what have you. But it's also trapping those souls inside. Yeah, so they still exist. I feel like if you're stealing someone's essence, you're either burning it to fuel something or you are capturing them to maintain them for hundreds of years. It seems like you can't do both. Uh, Yeah, I I agree. But you don't get to put up your spooks as hard if the ghosts can't come up poofing out of the walls. That's true. They do say, like, it's leap year and we get to live. It's leap year. And a full moon. We wouldn't be here otherwise, would we? (laughs) The sun's going down and we can live. So it's possible that those spirits 
can only manifest themselves on leap year during the full moon because the magic is running so hot at that point. And the rest of the time, they are poofed out of existence. Well, out of our existence, because they did specify in the wraparound story that on leap year, on a full moon, the veil between worlds thin. Imagine if it was also I, Halloween. Holy shit. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you'd, uh, you'd never get rid of Master Raymond then. <laughs> So the idea is that on leap year, full moon, uh, evil spirits are hunting people and they can take you with them to the other side because the veil is thin. Right. Oh, so yeah, it's, right. it's like a leap year loophole or a leap hole, if you will. Ryan and I love a good reference to the veil being uh, thin or thick. So, Indeed. you know, that kind of hit the spot, especially coming as this does during a leap year. And we just celebrated Walpurgis knocked. Did you? I wasn't part of the celebration. Oh, well, you should have jumped over a fire and Man, burned some witches. Got some meat in me. So Walpurgis knocked is halfway to Halloween, and it is also a time when the veil between worlds is thin. At this point, when isn't the veil thin? Not this year, uh, February 29th, because I looked it up. Not a full moon. I wonder if that ever actually happens. I wonder if it's only once a decade or so, which is why you have your flappers ghost, your 1800s ghost, your brush salesman from the You know, 50s. I never thought about that, but that's a, an obvious and great point. Of course that's why the ghosts were all from different decades. According to this Geocity site I just found, it's not a Geocity site, but it looks like one. Geocities? Full moon, I don't know how you pronounce it. Geocities. The next full moon leap year is on February 29th, 2048. I don't know how well uh, Master Raymond's going to do when everyone's got GPS in their brains, Jerry. Damn, son. A frequency of about once per century. Cool. Yeah, we, we cracked the case. Yeah, except it doesn't... It, 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 that, that, that means there couldn't be a flapper ghost and a 50s ghost. Well, it may not be exactly once a century. Give or take 50 years. Give or take 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. So sad. My 20th episode is an honest-to-goodness Tales from the Dark Side. I was so excited that I was able to find one of these. And this episode is called A Case of the Stubborns, written by friend of the show, Robert Block. Well, based on a story by Robert Block. Based on a story by Robert Block. So a mother and her son, Jody... Christian Slater! By a young Christian Slater. I squeed when I realized it was Christian Slater. That's uh, my fave. Are sitting at a table in mourning. It's the morning, but they're in mourning. <laughs> Double entendre. It's like it's so, almost like a full moon on a leap year. <laughs> they are mourning their grandfather who passed away in the night. And Jody decides to bless breakfast with a special prayer to God asking him to take care of his grandpa Titus, even though he could be an ornery old cuss. And then, to their chagrin, clomp, 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 here comes Uncle Titus, a little stiff, walking down to the breakfast table. I would say more like a little to their slight annoyance. <laughs> well, they couldn't quite believe what they were seeing, they were in shock, I guess. They're in shock. They're in denial. You know, it's not like they've grieved him and moved on. They're still processing his death. It was only a few hours ago. Yeah. So when he walks to the breakfast table, 
I feel like they have an excuse for not completely flipping out. And as we heard from the uh, the special prayer, they love Mr. Titus very much. True enough. So he sits down, and uh, this is in the Deep South, and Mr. Titus is as south as it gets. Um, <laughs> when I was watching this, I was thinking about you and and how much you were going to love this episode because he's just a weird old southern coot and he's like well what are you looking at i'm fit to blow away the dust if i don't get me some eggs and bacon yeah so they humor him somewhat and he he demands breakfast and so they lose their appetite and give him theirs one egg two pieces of sausage I won't lash them on them. <laughs> At a certain point, after much disgusting gumming of food and smacking of lips, that they really lean in way too hard on in this episode, and for which I hold uh, either Robert Block or uh, George Romero personally yeah. responsible. Oh, and he had all his like uh, embalming like makeup on with his brown lips. Yeah, it was pretty upsetting. And at this point, I was like, is his whole face a prosthetic? And he's just working the prosthetic? No, that was just the dude's face. <laughs> I think it was at least partially prosthetic. No, or at least not, he had a lot of makeup caked on. He had some pancake makeup on, but this guy had a schnoz and uh, a wobbly gravy chin on him. That uh, this is just uh, perfectly suited. I, I was delighted because it's the act, the same actor who plays the owner of the Cubs in Rookie of the Year. So I was like, ah, it's Rookie of the Year, Grandpa! Yay! And uh, you know, if you need to see an accurate representation of his non-death death mask face, just go watch Rookie of the Year, which I'm sure is a movie you have not seen. <laughs> Haven't seen it. It it falls very much in the purview of things that were formative for Ryan that <laughs> I just missed altogether. Yeah. Quality film. You should watch it. Funky butt loving. Did he say funky butt loving? Oh. So the question must be asked and it's young Jody who screws up the courage to do it. And he leans in and he points at his grandpa and says, Is you a haint? And he's like, Of course I ain't a haint. What gave you an ID like that? You're dead, grandpa. Obviously his daughter is very upset. Ma Tolliver, and she tries to explain to him patiently that he passed away in the evening, and she even called the physician out from his poker game to check him out, and the physician was upset because Grandpa didn't need help. He had already passed on. So he'd been declared dead and was lying on his bed with a, row, with a lily, and she told him maybe he should go back upstairs and lie down. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no proof that I'm dead. Now, I'm going to go sit out on the porch, if you'll still let me do that. So, <laughs> Ma sends uh, Jody um, to go fetch the doctor. And Dr. Snodgrass comes over, and he's hungover, and he isn't quite sure why he's been called back to the house until he sees Grandpa Titus rocking on the porch. And he can't believe what he's seeing. And 
Grandpa Titus can't believe the doctor's there again after having the temerity to declare him dead. So Dr. Snodgrass tries to listen to his heart with a stethoscope, and he says, your heart, it's, it's not beaten. <laughs> to which Titus replies, well, maybe your stethoscope is busted. And he does the whole thing with the mirror where he puts it in front of Titus's face, and there's no mist on the mirror showing that he stopped breathing. To which Titus replies, well, you should hold that mirror up to your own mouth. Your breath is so bad it could knock down a mule. In fact, you're so hungover, you should be six feet under yourself. Fuck you. Fuck no, you. Uh, they kept proving that he had no bodily functions over and over again. And, but, and I just kept thinking, but he just keeps eating and eating and eating. So all that food is just, just in his guts. Just keeps smacking those lips just and wobbling his little gravy sack chin. So lucky uh, that he, uh, his stomach didn't explode. So the night before, when the Grandpa Titus was having his heart attack, the mother pulled the doctor out of a poker game um, begrudgingly, and he was blind drunk at the time, as evidenced by his massive hangover the next morning. And at this point, it's still somewhat feasible that the doctor could have been wrong. And maybe just Grandpa's heart, maybe his ticker is just so quiet. His pulse is so low that it's not registering. And it definitely reminded me of this book I read called The Lazarus Syndrome uh, about burial alive. Uh, the medical definition for death is only as good as our tools. And there were many cases where people used to be buried alive because they just hold a mirror up to your mouth. And if you didn't fog the mirror, that was proof enough. And then people would slip into comas and then come out and wake up inside the grave. And so I thought it was interesting that the first person to do the rounds through was doctor who was drunk. Hmm. And also it allowed the grandfather Titus to argue with him tit for tat and refute all his points and be like, I don't see any evidence. I'm still here. I'm still rocking. I'm still eating, smacking my lips. I must be alive. So the doctor pisses off and then Reverend Peabody comes by next. Reverend Peabody played by none other than Brent Spiner, a young dashing Brent Spiner who knocks it out of the park as this reverend. So he thinks that the doctor had just pranked him saying that go check out old Titus. He's still alive. And he believes that old Titus is dead until old Titus wakes up. And it's like, Oh, Rev, what are you doing here? And the reverend is shook to use the modern parlance. <laughs> and he's like, uh, it's not right for you to be here. Titus, you should, rest your bones and go on up to heaven and receive your great reward to which uncle titus replies if this heaven is so great why don't you go on and go see your maker i'm sitting on my porch nobody's gonna say i'm dead when i ain't and so uh ma tolliver comes out with a jug of moonshine and then reverend peabody goes look look drinks the moonshine and runs off which is how I located this as a 20s episode. <laughs> I was searching for episodes with moonshine in it. And uh, 
Thank God I found this. That's funny. He drank it in the proper style, too, crooked over the elbow. So can you go deeper into that? Because I was amazed at his elbow-supported... That's how you drink uh, them big jugs. Shine jug Ain't you never technique. seen that before? I've never seen that before. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to support it with your big old elbow. That was fantastic. It's like how you're actually supposed to hold a beer bottle with just two fingers or whatever. Like in Stargate SG-1, Jack... O'Neill is like, you know he's cool because he holds this beer bottle by like crossing his two fingers over it. It actually looks really stupid, but apparently that's the way. That's a horrible twisted beer claw. Yeah. I hate you, it. You would definitely drop your beer and spill it everywhere, or I would. Or, or sprain your finger or something. <laughs> Anywho, yeah. medical science has struck out, religion has struck out. When all else fails, what do you do? You go see the voodoo woman. Uh-huh. So Ma sends her only begotten son, Jody, to the treacherous hut of the voodoo woman. And I didn't know what to make of this scene because I was like, oh, cool, voodoo, awesome. And, like, it's just a 40-year-old white lady in a head wrap who is like, come to see the voodoo woman. I'm going to eat you. I'm going to eat your eyes. And Jody's like, oh, please don't. And she's like, oh, I'm too tired to eat you. Don't get old, boy. It's too much work. It's no fun. Oh, voodoo like, woman, oh. you're crazy with the heat. <laughs> He's like, uh, ma'am, if you're not going to eat me, can I have some help with the problem we're having? My grandpa Titus, he's got a case of the stubborns, you see. He died, and and he just won't accept any proof that he's dead. And she's like, oh, Titus, Titus Tolliver, why, I used to fuck him back in the day. <laughs> I've got something for him. You believe it. So she sends him off with a voodoo package. And he's like, Ma, don't worry. I've got this case wrapped up. I've got this voodoo package from the voodoo woman. And she's like, well, let me see. And she looks inside this pouch and she's like, oh, Jody, you got scammed. That's just some strong black pepper. He's like, ah, you'll see, Ma. So Titus comes in, and at this point, he is starting to decompose badly. He's really falling apart. The heat is not yeah. doing him any favors. Also rigor mortis. He's stiff and rigor mortis, and his face is peeling off, and he refuses to believe that he's dead. So Jody packs his napkin with that strong black pepper from the voodoo woman, and they start eating, and he's stinking up the place, and flies are buzzing around. And to make matters worse, they give him, like, boiled, wilted collard greens, <laughs> and he's gumming them, and it's just dripping out of his mouth. And it's it's real messed up. And so Jody's like, uh, hey, Grandpa, you got some collard greens there. And when he lifts up the napkin, he is coated and strong black pepper, which makes him sneeze. <laughs> and then hard zoom into the napkin and his hands. And he folds up the napkin and puts it down. And you're like, oh, dear God, what has happened off screen? And then we see him stand up. And he says, good dang, will you look at... <laughs> I guess there's no fool like a... Like an old fool. And he clomps his way up the stairs 
to his final repose. So Jody takes the napkin and opens it up. Bad and we move. see Grandpa's nose has been blasted off his skull by the full power of the voodoo sneeze. Not only does this guy have a terrible nose just full stop, it's all rotted off and it's completely impacted with snot and boogers and wrapped in wilted, slimy, collard greens. <laughs> this was fucking foul. Uh, I shudder to think what his face was like as he yeah. teetered up the stairs. The end. A voodoo sneeze, good name for a band. And a sex move. Ooh, yeah. I'm going to try that later. So, yeah, I, I was like, okay, well, he sneezed his face off. Because you don't see his face after he sneezes. It's off camera the whole time. I was like, he sneezed his face off. And I assumed when they but it opened... But imagine the yeah. horror of it, which was very effective. Yeah. And I am and. uh I thought they were going to make us imagine what was in the napkin as well. Right. That was yeah. the reveal. And I imagine if if he opened it, you know, it would just be like a prosthetic face with some blood on it. But then it was just the nose all covered in snots, and it was so gross. I had just made a big sloppy plate of nachos, and I pressed play <laughs> on this episode. And as soon as he walked down in his first death mask phase... I was like, oh, shit, this is only going to get grosser. So I wolfed them down as fast as I could because <laughs> I rightfully assumed it was going to become disgusting. Yeah, when you watch my episodes, there's usually a lot of old people smacking their lips, and it's it's just upsetting. By now, after 20 episodes, I should know better than to make lunch before viewing. So old Grandpa Titus was belligerent and stubborn, the whole time, and he's like, "What? You don't? You got nothing? You got nothing on me? I ain't a dead. I ain't no hints. Show me. Show me the proof." And then, as soon as he sneezed his nose off, he was like, "I'm sorry. I'll, I'll leave you alone forever." He became so sad and pathetic. It was a turn I was I not mean, expecting, and I f- and he my heart really went out to dead, him. And he definitely must been upset with himself when he saw that mess of a nose. All the trouble he'd caused. And just looking at yeah, that, that nose probably fucked Christian Slater up for life. And, and you know, that napkin is unsalvageable. <laughs> yeah. There you go again! Are you afraid of the dark? Scare factor. Pretty good, I think. What with all yeah. the ghosting. Although daylight yes. doesn't help, but creep factor high for Master Eamon. Uh, you know, the, the de- appearing, disappearing portraits are pretty cool. Harry Potter stole that shit. There's a lot of good ghostly stuff going on. The the baby bundle full of snakes yeah. was really um, bizarre and surreal. Also, just her being alone in that secret room, kind of a prisoner, is, is pretty existentially terrifying. That was creepy. The banana split that was actually an acid bomb through which My Chemical Romance crawled out of that was like some pennywise shit he was gonna full-on murder those kids yeah i'd I'd give it a decent scare factor it also had a very specific quality which might belong under what the factor which is it's the type of rambling ghost story that my friends and i might tell each other at a young age right like oh man look at that creepy road imagine if you went down there and there were ghosts and They trapped you, and you ran out to find a phone, and then there were ghosts in there, and then you ran back. Phantom cab style. Yeah. All right. Scare factor for Tales from the Dark Side. Low. I, you know, was charmed by Grandpa Titus. Especially, yeah. 
his ornery nature, his his southern charm just just got to me, and the voodoo woman was not scary at all. No, no, not so much. Uh, and especially uh, when he you know comes down and they're like, Grandpa, what in tarnation are you doing walking around? <laughs> like they when it, again it doesn't affect them in the slightest. Are you afraid of the dark? Gross factor. Gross factor low. Pretty clean, dry episode. Some snakes, but. That don't confront me none. Dark side, gross factor off the charts. Sky high. Yep. Couldn't Sky be high. grosser. Are you afraid of the dark body count? I would say at least five. Yeah, five all, ghosts? All those ghosts. Uh, there's the two flapper ghosts, one 50s ghost, one brush salesman, 1800s lady. We see yuppie guy pull up. Oh, no, because we know that the house still exists, so it had to have yep. eaten him. Yeah, six. Body count six. Dark side, body count one. One. Unless you count... Data killing that jug. <laughs> One and a half. Because <laughs> three three X's count as three bodies. Uh, there you go. Um, still, uh, are you afraid of the dark? Uh, gets it by a hair. Are you afraid of the dark? What the factor? Quasi plot factor high. And the thing where I'm seeing a lot of in these episodes where every spook needs their kryptonite and Master Raymond's kryptonite was... Wind. wind or gusts or drafts and when the kid pulls out his little pocket fan which i feel like the whole episode was built around the idea <laughs> of a kid with a pocket fan even though it was february um, even though it was february why was he carrying that <laughs> he probably won it at the oh, amusement park it was yeah. that type of shitty toy totally that was so cool at the time with those little flimsy fan blades that accomplished nothing. It's basically a machine that runs down batteries <laughs> and produces no other effect. So he's got the pocket fan, which is strong enough to operate a wind chime and Master Raymond force blasts it out of his hand in the beginning. Later on, he's confronted by a Master Raymond projection and he blows it away with his pocket fan and then at the end the big showdown with master raymond he's like oh yeah i'm pulling out my pocket fan and he's like silly boy with silly toys that has no power over me it's like what you've been setting it up this whole time yeah and it doesn't work well exactly you got to raise the stakes baby that's well, called plot wtf factor <laughs> i, I feel, I I feel like it. you're calling him master raymond and i think his name is master amon so we're gonna have to go to the tape and figure this out. It's Master Raymond's house. It's Master Raymond's house. But I'd say, what the factor? High <laughs> for Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, Tales from the Dark, straightforward. I, I, I'm gonna give it a medium just because he's he's a corpse that comes back to life and nobody gives a shit except for the priest and the doctor, but only because their professions are being called into question. True, they've got a lot at stake and it could be argued that Jody and his ma are just used to grandpa being so stubborn that it doesn't really surprise them that he won't take his death lying down theme theme of 20s theme of trendy 20s being that this is technically or non-technically the 20th episode check and there are two flapper ghosts but still 20s low for are you afraid of the dark I got a good 20s vibe off of Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah. It was some good old home, down south, moonshine drinking, country doctoring, um, some good hellfire and brimstone. Lay the grandpa out on your 
bed with a lily on his chest. Yeah. That was a good 20s. Nobody did the Charleston, though. Or the Lindy Hop. Not once. Uh, I'm going to call that a tie for theme. So Are You Afraid of the Dark takes it on Scare Factor because there was nothing scary about Tales from the Dark Side. But there was nothing gross about Afraid of the Dark, and the gross factor was sky high in Tales from the Dark Side. But I think what the factor is the deciding factor, (laughs) as always. So I'm going to have to give it to Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Tale of the Whispering Walls. Yeah! So Grandpa's got a case of the stubborns, as we've seen. Mm -hmm. And he's able to maintain his life force through sheer will. And... It is well established that it is powerfully hot and he's degrading. But if you woke up dead and you realized that you could keep going, would you? Because I might be tempted to go up to Canada where it's cold and dry and try to make myself last a little longer, maybe put you know, some adhesives. I mean, with your knowledge of mold making and special effects makeup, you could probably hold yourself together a long time. And now you got a 3D printer. I mean, sky's the limit. (laughs) Yeah, I I think you could go up north to old Canada where it's nice and breezy, a lot of wind, perhaps. Stake yourself out of place in those whispering walls. Do you think if you were a corpse and you got absorbed into the whispering walls, the walls would get indigestion or food poisoning? No. If the ultimate form is that you become a skeleton that's still animate, that would be pretty fucking cool. Foolish talk about dying makes a man feel plumbish. Hey, Ryan, uh, you don't look so good. Are you feeling all right? Wait a minute. Is you a haint? What? Why I never in all my years been so... <laughs> we run for your life! Look at him skedaddle! <laughs> <laughs>